howdy doody YouTubers and iTunes dudes. You are dialed in to Frivolous Gravitas, the podcast of a thousand pods cast and counting. I am your host, Christopher Driver, alongside with me today, my co-producer and co-host, the enchanting Jordan Roy. We have a very special and convoluted subject to wander through today, and if this introduction is any hint as to what we'll be discussing, simplicity vis-a-vis senseless complexity is sort of the name of the game. We see and hear it often in the world today, whether it be in the news or school or at work, uh, people try to find ways of oversimplifying needlessly to the detriment of communication and then overcomplexifying simple things ostensibly to exaggerate or emphasize their own intellectual merits for whatever reason they believe that works people do it so today we're going to analyze simplicity itself uh we'll try and see when people are misusing it when people are overdoing it and why we should do it at all so with that i'll let jordan take the reins and uh give us some guidance as to where we're going to take the discussion Yes, so felicitations. That was indubitably a dubious amount of complexity thrust upon the unwilling and unwanted uh, YouTube audience who no longer ostensibly is um, being coerced into uh, viewing um, this more avant-garde resuscitation of our daily mores. Ouch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it didn't make any sense, did it? No, I was just putting words together um, and it worked because I know how English works. So, I was just kind of able to do that. Now, what did I say? I didn't really say anything. I was just letting them flow. So, this is not a useful sentence. Like it was funny, but like it's not very useful. And now, the reason I'm kind of got a bit of a pet peeve about some of this stuff is because that is so many of us who think that like that is a uh, valid way of having any kind of discourse. <laughs> it is um, frustrating. It's annoying. It's not helpful, uh, which is probably the most thing. So, we're going to be talking today, as Chris said, about um, all things uh, relating to simplicity, but mostly about how simplicity itself is more of a virtue than I think we give it credit for. So, one of the things I learned when I was in school was that um, it doesn't really help if you sound like that. Um, a lot of, you'll be reading a bunch of stuff and you'll, you'll have journal articles and you'll have, you know, the newspaper and every all these people trying, using all these words and jargon. You go to a different faculty and you don't understand anything they're saying. Now, the thing is that a lot of those people, if you go in, you know, if you're in biology and you go to engineering, there's a lot of jargon there and it sounds really smart. But those guys have put the work in and vice versa. If the engineering guys go to the biology side and they'll be like, oh man, these guys know a lot of different jargon. And if they go over to the sociology side, they'll be like, what are these guys talking about? (laughs) Both of them because everyone does have all their own jargon. Now, that is jargon. I think we defined it a couple, uh, maybe 10 episodes ago, where um, that's something you use to facilitate language. It's not meant to be more complicated. And it is used for 
it's used for it's it's meant for use within something so if i'm working at a paint store i'm gonna use paint store jargon uh because that you know it, it makes it the sentence is easier to cross um no, that's not. That's because that. there's technical detail behind the words that you're using that have specific purpose, right? Right. So when I say something like, <clears throat> like, so I could say again, I could say sociology or biology or engineering. These do not describe uh, those um, those professions or those fields of study at all. Engineering is a massive <laughs> field of study where um, you learn how to put things together, how things work. It's an amazingly creative field too. But at the same time, um, are you working with computers or are you, oh, I'm not actually an engineer. I dig up landmines. Oh, wait, but you are an engineer. Yeah. It's like my trade is called engineer, but that doesn't mean I'm an engineer. So it does help to understand these things, but like also I don't understand like a lot of the biological biological jargon. But when you move beyond that, if you if you carry that jargon outside of that, you're going to exist in a world where no one gets gets you. So all you're going to think is like you're going to show people that you have like a PhD and who cares, but um, you're not going to be able to exist very uh, well in the world. So one of the things that I learned when I was in school was simplicity. Keep it simple. Um, one thing my wife says often is that you, if you, if you like with math or with science or anything like that, she'll say something like, uh, if you can explain it, you don't know it until you explain it to your grandmother. Or if you can, sorry, you don't know it properly until you can explain it to your grandmother and have her understand it herself. And this uh, this is a really good uh, way to go because, you know, what is this guy saying in this piece? Well, he's saying this, okay. You can one, repeat their words and say, okay, you know, textbook definition, this is what they actually said. Okay, but what does that mean? So, you kind of suss it out and you move it over in your brain and then you eventually get it to a point where you can just, oh yeah, I grok this now. And now I can uh, apply it and I can move it around and We've all really seen this. You've seen people who have gone, there's a couple people on YouTube who take very complicated things and they just have a way of describing it to you that really may, like hits at home. They just, they just know how to do it well. Um, I had a sociology, an anthropology teacher that just was able to explain all the stuff we were learning and I really, uh, he moved on to another university and the university was weaker for it because he, had an element of simplicity where he was just able to understand, okay, this is what this guy's talking about. PBS Studios is really good for that. They've got YouTube channels for like crash courses them, yeah. and like and yeah. Space Time is another great uh, show where they bring cosmology down to the level of high school educated people, which I think is phenomenal. When you can bring a complex subject like astrophysics down yeah. to and like you still have to put level. some of the work in because it's it's again it's it is actually complicated. Things are actually complicated. And this is kind of what underlies this entire conversation: is that people are complicated. The world is complicated. It's it's wonderful and wondrous, but like, how does a tree work? Oh boy! <laughs> uh, but like, so there's no need to needlessly complicate things uh, more than uh, absolutely necessary. Unless you're describing something that's complex, right? 
Right. Well, it's just like, okay, here's where it gets complex. But say, take something like Shakespeare. And this is, I, I just taught a module on Shakespeare. So it's fresh in my mind. Sorry. <clears throat> I need some water. One of the things, uh, edit that out maybe. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I was trying to get across to my student was that, you know, we all approach Shakespeare and we're like, oh, look, I'm reading Shakespeare. And then I am delving into the mysteries of metaphor and simile. Oh, God, spare me. <laughs> but like, it was written, it wasn't written like that. It wasn't written for, you know, history majors. It wasn't written for English majors. It wasn't written for, you know, PhD candidates or philosophers or this or that. It was written for everybody. The Gold Theater had, you know, you, you were the groundlings were all people who paid a couple, um, uh, you know, groats to get in. Uh, I don't actually know how much it was, but um, it was very small amount. You could get in and watch a play, uh, which is essentially a movie uh, back then. So we, with Shakespeare, and this is a good example of this, through time, we're giving it gravity. You know, it has temporal gravitas. But the reality of it is quite different. You know, you had everyone on every level of society enjoying these shows. But now, because, you know, it is worth seeing and it does have that importance um, to everyone all over the world, everywhere of all time, uh, that's why it's good. And so we, we say, oh, no, this is important. This is special. This, this should be reserved for only this and that. And then, you know, people aren't engaging with it because it's some kind of sacred text now. It's not just a story about, you know, a guy whose wife tells him that, hey, we should totally try for being king of Scotland. <laughs> and then everyone dies. And there's a bunch of witches who literally just invent Halloween. Not literally, but they do the, you know, the bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. And this is just rhymes that sound cool. Uh, one scene, I think it's scene two, a guy answers his door and he just tells a bunch of knock-knock jokes, which are politically relevant to that time period. But it's still kind of neat. So, there's – and then there's the insults, which are just brilliant. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the thing about it is that it sounds – and it does take a bit of effort to get into it. And one of the things I was doing with Shakespeare was um, – you know, you go through it. Let's see what it says. Let's see how it's, let's see how it's arranged. Let's see how it's, um, uh, you know, what is he actually saying here? And then we went through it and been like, okay, here's what's actually happening. And I'm tried to make it as, you know, we want to appreciate the beauty of the words, but at the same time, just understand the story as it is instead of being like, what am I missing? What am I not getting? Oh, no, no, no. It's like, okay, his wife is just really pissed because she got a letter telling him. And now he's, you know, now Macbeth is deciding that he's not going to go through with it because he's gotten, uh, he's got guilt. And his wife's just like, fine, I'll be the man here. And then storms off and finishes the deed, comes back with blood on her hands. And she's like, look, you you weak man, you. And so she insults his manhood and, you know, moving on with the scene, which is, uh, you know, being everyone, a couple people being suspicious of, um, of uh, Macbeth in the forest. And it's just kind of like, okay. 
this is this is a story I get. Uh, once you take away the clouds and you see, okay, this is what the story is, and you can go back and be like, wow, okay, that's a really clever way of saying that. Okay, this is really quite genius. And then, then you can dive into the complexity once you simplify it because it was meant to be understood pretty right off the hop. Okay, this guy's doing that, that guy's doing that. But then when the beauty of it is that when you dig into it, there's more. And then when you dig into it more, there's even more. And that's where um, we lose it is that because we're stuck at this, oh, it's so complicated, I, I don't like it or this or that. It's it isn't really that complicated. It's just written in an old English. So, you do have to give it a bit of effort. But at the same time, the story itself is uh, wonderful. Well, the stories themselves are wonderful. But but on that note, I think part of the poetry and the art form is the needlessness of the complexity. And I mean, I'm obviously biased because I wrote a completely gratuitously verbose book that was specifically just to be poetic. And... <laughs> using using flowery language like that really helps the author express a type of um, like contrast between emotions, thoughts, and feelings and experiences. Not just for the words that you're using, but for the words that you're pairing together. So adding too many words actually helps you understand what's not being written, so to speak. But I, I think that's really lacking, especially in music today where lyrics are so simple that there's nothing to hold on to in a song anymore, except for the hook that just repeats over and over and over again because it's catchy. Like, there is no feeling to it, in my opinion. And I, I understand that's personal preference, but in speaking with Shakespeare, maybe part of the reason that we, we admire him so much now, I mean, they admired him back in the day too, but like, that we study him now. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe part of that is because of how difficult it is how needlessly complex the language is to us in a modern time. What do you think of that? I, th I think there's a, there's an element of truth in that. I think it's made more complex by the fact that it's written in a um, older style of English. Um, and I think it would have been a lot more complex, less complex for the people watching it at that time. Um, but at the same time, it is, like we can still get it. So we'll take an excerpt here from one of my favorite parts. Um, I'm not going to do the voice. I'm not Patrick Stewart. Uh, go watch that version. <laughs> Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you if you want actual <clears throat> things, so you know we have tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in the pretty face from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. So one of the things all he's doing here is he's saying something in a way that gets you to think in um you, obviously you could say it simple like in a more simple manner yes okay simplicity is a virtue didn't you just say that jordan yes but how can you say this in a way that gets the thought across but in a creative manner so he's not just showing it he's actually elucidating so tomorrow tomorrow and tomorrow this is a rhetorical device creeps in this pretty face from day to day again we have a re repetition the last syllable of recorded time. Just the phrase to the last syllable of the recorded time, just it's brilliant. Uh, in its uh, the fact, like it evokes so much more than what it's actually trying to say in this the way he says it. So not only are we saying till the end of time because you can say that, but the last syllable. Now, last syllable is written, uh, recorded, so that's history. And, but it also evokes a thought that like, 
till the last person in the world speaks his last breath. And you imagine that and you just, you're in this one sentence, you're. But it's also like, it's not necessarily the end of all of time. It's just the end of human time, but right. it only implies it by, by not specifically saying the end of all time. It's the end of a syllable. Right. Cause as long as humans exist, we will be, we will be making utterances. So it, right. it's subtle. That's what I like about it's it. Subtle, but it's not overly cryptic. And this is kind of what I want to get into after. But the other thing is about it is that if you go, you read it properly, um, it sounds good just to say it. I just like reading some of his passages because they just flow off the tongue very well. And you just kind of like, you know, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in the pretty fate, no, the pretty pay, the petty pace from that, sorry, I did this three times and I said it wrong and I'm reading it right in front of my face. So, creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. That felt good to say. Now, we can't just read it. And that's, I think, the other thing with Shakespeare itself is that a lot of people make the mistake of reading Shakespeare. That's a good way to fall asleep. Uh, it's brilliant but you have to watch it first and then go back and read it and be like, oh yeah, I remember this part. Yeah, yeah. And then you get it. And so, it becomes simpler, but then in that simplicity, it opens it up because simplicity is also accessibility, which makes it so bland. I hate saying that. Says we need to make this more accessible. Blah, 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 blah. It's just like, anyway. So, one of the things that- <laughs> As a promoter of like free education though, I, I, I earnestly believe that we should be trying to make everything more accessible, even <laughs> complex issues. But I think- I, I think, think it, education is becoming more accessible, um, whether the universities like it or not. And they don't. And that's pretty obvious. That's the thing. Our technology these days, we really don't need to make things accessible anymore. People <laughs> could just put in the effort and... Yeah, there's a lot of gatekeeping, which is another episode. Yes. I'll take that down. <laughs> but um, The rant episode. <laughs> those are always fun. So, one of the things that's happening here, and I mentioned this, is that uh, is one thing I learned while reading... Um, French, or not not reading, but um, writing French poetry, because I was uh, I took a French poetry class because I had one of the best professors I in the school. He was an he was a stubborn, forceful man who knew his stuff and really was into the, his work. And I just he was frustrating, and I thank every moment that of his uh, frustration and uh, dissatisfaction with my work. So, <laughs> one of the things he did is that he had a way of showing the students why something was beautiful or why something was interesting or, you know, sharing his enthusiasm for something, which is key to teaching. If you don't like what you're teaching, it's going to be a very difficult uh, class to teach. But one of the things I noticed is that <clears throat> Um, while writing, I could just make something as cryptic. So, one thing you can do is you can take a sentence, any sentence, sorry about that, and you, um, so, I have to go to the store and then you can just add on layers of uh, literary devices and, you know, figures of speech and everything you want. I'm going to the store, you know, well, what if I change it up and say, you know, it is I that who's who is going to the store. Okay, that's just, you know, you're being more verbose. Okay, but what if I go change the word store to a metaphor? I'm going to the lake of nourishment 
Okay, that's already getting dumb. Okay, well, going is the verb here. So we can change the verb to an illusion or something like, uh, I will be questing at the lake of nourishment. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, this is not good poetry, but here's uh, essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking a simple concept. Now, again, we have time and place. If you're telling someone you got to go into the store, you just tell them. But if you are writing a poem about going to the store, you can just keep adding on layers. Now, what happens if I add another layer? Um, questing. Uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, lake of nourishment. So, um, reminds me of, you know, maybe this water. So, I don't know. An oasis. An oasis. King Arthur's oasis awaits me for the lady bringeth me upon my uh, verbose shoulders the that which I need to sustaineth me towards my ends. The fuck is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Just clapping but triggers. The thing me. is, Jesus. there's like depth and complexity, and there's art and complexity, and then there's just like frivolous, gratuitous, that egregious overuse of too many synonyms, like I just did. Yeah. Like, there, there, there's a level where you can add layers and it gives more interpretability to the thing you're communicating. And then there's a way of removing communication through the layers that you're adding on. And I think part of what bothers me about this style is that most people think that they can, they read something that sounds like nonsense and think, oh, I can do that. And then they just write nonsense, like completely missing what the original uh, intent of the piece was. And this is like especially pronounced in hip hop, I find. Because like you can write a song that's got a really complex rhyming scheme and you could be writing about like the school system, but you're speaking about uh, a family drama or a woman drama or something. Or like talking about uh, a lot of rappers will talk about the music they love as if it was a physical love interest and it's sort of the whole song carries forward a metaphor about like a relationship squabble. Right. But like thinking that you could write a rap song just because you know how to rhyme four letter words that are spelt exactly the same with a different consonant in front of it. There's a reason it sounds stupid in the end because um, coming out of it, there, there's no, there's no layers of depth to it there, it's so shallow it's just superficial words plotted together like you're throwing darts at a board well that's and like with honestly like i equate a lot of modern hip-hop and music uh with as an extension of it's, it's pretty much just poetry yeah fight me um <laughs> when it's I'm done well i love no, that. <laughs> i'm talking to the audience oh. but um and I've said this forever, uh, and don't ignore good hip hop because it's, you know, you're, they're using the words to, um, most of the time when they're doing it right. And they're not just using a, you know, with the one, two beat, um, or whatever. I'm not a musician, but <laughs> you're supposed to let the words themselves within the story you're telling drive the melody, uh, or at least the, um, uh, the rhythm, the rhythm, thank you, of the, uh, of the song or the poem, which is, which is a hard thing to do. Cause like right now I'm just talking and I'm not worrying about the rhythm of what I'm saying. I do have a rhythm, but it's 
one that I usually use because it's easy to get my words across in this rhythm. And I can vary my rhythm, but I don't really generally think about it. And a poet or a rapper or, um, you know, a songwriter will th- note the rhythm that is inherent to the words. And this isn't complicated. It's just the thing. Yeah, duh, duh. But then, you know, the thing plus the words that they have is a thing. So, you, there's an inherent without even giving it a beat. I'm adding a beat to it. Now, what happens is that when you look at the words themselves and you say something like, okay, he's just, you know, we, we assume that someone's making art because we're so, most of us, um, well, if you're watching this, you're probably not one of these people because you're actually, if you've gotten this far, uh, but most of us, like just because we make a podcast doesn't mean we're smart. It means we took time about our day to actually do something. Yeah. It means we put the effort in. <laughs> yeah. So, like most, a lot of people, you know, it's like, oh, you made a song? It's like, yeah, I sat down and wrote a song. Yeah, you wrote a book? Yeah, I actually sat down and just did it. A lot of people don't. It's like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. It's like, yeah, that's what people do. They do work. But, and they think that that's smart. But at the same time, um, you have that thing, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to write a song or I'm just going to do this thinking that they don't need to actually try and or practice or, you know, do the massive amounts of trial and error that go along with it. And that gives authority to just the fact that there's a song there and therefore you get a lot of complexity, blah, 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 blah. We're we're cheapening what we have and we're seeing this with, like you said, the cheap rap songs, the cheap hip hop, the cheap pop, but there's always been cheap pop. There's always going to be cheap pop. That's okay. Um, so but it's almost it, like looking at a Van Gogh. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost like looking at a Van Gogh and saying, "Oh, look how many brush strokes he made." If, yeah. if all I do is make a bunch of brush strokes, I'm I'm a Van Gogh. Like it doesn't work like that. They just they're oversimplifying things that are intended to be complex that are valuable because of their complexity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like it applies to everything, like well, right down see- to. You see this especially in um, early 20th century classical music because before that it was uh, everyone was trying to evoke a feeling. Okay, I'm trying to do this. And then you get Chopin and Liszt who are just like, oh, look what I can do. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and then Liszt is like, oh, look what I can do. Blah, blah, blah. And jazz. <laughs> and, but then, yeah, you do you get, you get jazz out of that. But at the same time, classical music, you know, jazz and classical kind of did that. And, but you get like Ravel and the atonal guys and then you get the like um, – essentially just the what is even music i'm gonna use some weird stuff but no one likes listening to it it's garbage because they were just going for the complexity they were just going for the mathematical um you know it doesn't have any bearing like it's not good music it's you know it's art i guess but i don't want to listen to it because it doesn't jive with um what i want to listen to it doesn't have that simplicity that unlocks itself in my brain. It's just complex. It's a shotgun of complexity straight to my face. And it's yeah, also atonal. So, like. like, if I talked atonally, you would turn this off right now. But it's it's deep. But the thing is, the thing you can do with that, and now I'm going to move on a bit because uh, I think I've labored that a bit, is that when you make something cryptic, what's happening is that, especially um, since – 70s and 80s especially what is necessary is like oh well you need to understand the artist to get it you know but like the in my opinion the art should kind of stand on its own and then if you want to get deeper then you go into the biography of the artist 
But a lot of things, and I noticed myself doing when I started writing poetry, um, not posting any poetry beyond stuff I will scribble on Facebook. You will not get any of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I did a thing with a bunch of Ds on Facebook recently, and I thought it was clever. That's as much as you're going to get. Um, but one thing I did was um, I noticed that I was doing was I could just make it as cryptic as possible. The thing with with something cryptic, and it comes from the word itself, crypt, uh, or you know, cryptology, is that I'm ha I'm making a code. I'm I'm encrypting my language, so it becomes illegible. And then the thing is, is that you need a keystone or a you know a key to unlock it. And so you well, you need to understand my personal experience in order to you know understand my poetry. Blah blah blah. That's, well, to some extent, like yeah, but like it helps to understand. Um, you know, certain poets within the context and then you, you read their poem uh, and then you're just like, oh, that was a nice poem. And then you read about their life and you're like, I get it. But like, it's nothing more than like he grew up in, you know, 40s America or he was part of the civil rights movement or, um, you know, he had a falling out with his dad or something, something like that. Once you understand that, you get that. One was, um, I think I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was a dad... Uh, a kid who had um, those winter Sundays. Uh, who, was that Frost? No, no, no. Um, oh, it doesn't matter. I was just curious. Robert Hayden. Hayden. My Google foo is strong. So, he's a black uh, American um, uh, poet. So, honestly, that was kind of racist to me. He's a great American poet. Doesn't matter what color he is. But when we analyze, in addition to being black, <laughs> but the, the the poem itself had nothing to do with him being black. What happened was, uh, what was important was that he had a bad relationship with his father. He didn't really realize that his father loved him until it was too late. That unlocks the poem, but you can get that, get a sense of that from reading the poem itself. And that's and a relatable tragedy. Like a lot of people grow up with that type of sentiment towards their families when they when they eventually have to watch their parents die. Right. But I think part of the expression is supposed to tell us that stuff. Right. Like and you, you do get a sense of that. So like speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and done his work and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? He didn't know what. He didn't know that love isn't just, oh, I love you, hugs and kisses, blah, 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 blah. Like, love was his dad going to work. Love was only taking one day off a week. And, uh, and you know, love wasn't showing all that affection. You know, love is sometimes austere. And he only knew this later and wished he could tell his dad. You can get that from the poem. Then you go read the biography. It confirms everything, you know. So, it's like, oh, it's like checking your work. But if I am not given anything... And it's just some gobbledygook going through, then cryptic does not equal poetic. You're being cryptic, and I it's it's garbage. Try again. You know, start might as well start again. Like, but the thing is that we're getting used to this in society. Now it's always been a thing. Like I, I just admitted that I have this tendency, but I saw it in myself and I tried to correct it. And um I think we all do though. That's what makes this conversation relatable to most people, is that we all have a That's tendency a toward doing. Yeah. Cause you can imagine yourself being like, Oh, I'm going to say this and say that, say this and that. And it's like, well, that's going to make you look good, but that's not going to actually facilitate a conversation, which is why you're going to the party to 
you know, meet people and talk to them, not to be like, everybody gather around. I'm going to be really smart right now. And you're all going to be like, wow, he's so smart. (laughs) There's like an underlying smugness to it where you're trying to deceive people into believing something about you that's just inaccurate. Like if you're actually smart, you shouldn't have to try to show it to people. It should right. come out organically from your thoughts and expressions and feelings. Keep thinking of Margaret Thatcher. If you have to be told you're powerful, well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was a vicious woman. But I, I think intent goes a long way too, because mm. when we don't realize we're doing it, it's probably a sign of a latent insecurity, first of all. So it's like a personality flaw that you're kind of ignoring and allowing yourself to ignore by continuing to do it without addressing it. Yeah. Without admitting it or being self-aware of it. But on the flip side, it's like, it's really disrespectful to the people you're deceiving. It's like, I'm so much smarter than you that I'm going to make you think I'm smart. Like, that's sort of the, the process. Even if you're not explicitly saying it that way, that's the simple way of putting it when you're intentionally trying to make people believe something. Yeah. And I, people, it is definitely an insecurity. And I've, I've met a number of people like this. And I've been dealing with those demons for a while, but I think one of the things <clears throat> that it really comes out in is that when you're trying to do scholarship, it's extremely counterproductive. Okay, going to a party and talking about anthropology will is a and being like not explaining what you're talking about to sound smart and making it all like high minded, but that's a good way to not get laid at that party. Pro tip, there's a life hack for you. But um, the problem is, is that when you try and do your work like that, or when you try and stick in, like the business world's got this forever where they have buzzwords and, they, you know, we're going to synergize this dynamic uh, paradigm into blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's a joke by now. But that's essentially what's happening is that you know, synergizing the dynamic paradigm towards an end of uh, capital in, in advancement in the field of uh, Compu Global Meganet. Yeah. <laughs> Mega Hypernet. Mega Hypernet. <laughs> so that's exactly it. And, but when you, one thing that's happening is one of the things is when I got to school, when I passed my all my poet courses and I went into history, this wasn't a definite progression. This was just kind of later on. Um, was that, you know, you start reading stuff and you're like, oh, this guy's got a really, interesting analysis of this incident or this person or this event or something. And then you'll read something. I read one which was uh, about the Atlantic slave trade. And we're like, okay, that was bad, obviously. Like, we don't really need to be convinced that the Atlantic slave trade was a bad thing. Um, It's kind of like, that's why we stopped it, because it was bad. (laughs) So, we should have kept it going. Okay, you're going to have to come up with a good argument for that, because I'm not going to believe you. And one of the problems with it is that you don't really need to explain all this, but I read one article which was essentially just um, going on about the Venus in the boat and how she was stifled and silenced by um, the way that people took photos in a certain way on and that instituted a enforcement of um, uh, imperialism in the Caribbean and early America. It's like, okay, we already, after digging into that, we already knew that, but 
I don't know what, why you have to call female suffering the denigration of the Venus um, in a scholarship article or one of them was uh, overcomplicating the idea of an empire. Now, um, what is an empire? Just generally, it's, it's just you have a... It's a domineering uh, faction over over a greater number of a smaller, less powerful people. Well, yeah, yeah uh, it's a generally a polity that has... Um, it's a master-slave relationship between groups. Well, yeah. I think it's, it's when a government has uh, dominion over people that don't subscribe to their dominion. So, like, um, uh, you know, the Roman Empire and the Greeks. The Greeks weren't Roman, but the Romans were in charge. Um, like the Brits in India? <laughs> the Brits in everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Although the British colonies ended up a lot better. Anyway. <laughs> Colonialism but, is basically empiricism. It was. As far as I'm concerned. When I read a number of articles explaining it in more and more and more and more complicated ways, and it actually just made it harder to understand what the British Empire was. And so, you get people who are trying to not do that and then they're called, you know, oh, you're racist or oh, oh, you must be a Britishist. It's like, I think we need to look at history a little more dispassionately than, you know, trying to explain why it was the most evil thing and making it more and more evil. We know it was a bad thing for a lot of people. So, can we move on and discuss that? But no, it's like, so you come up with ideas of trans empire and, you know, periphery and, you know, metropole relationships and how the metropole, you know, influenced this and there was, you know, all this stuff and you have um, uh, periphery relationships forming that actually inform what the metropole is and like, duh, <laughs> like stuff, they, they, they take over Canada and India and then they bring back spices and beavers. And that changes the culture of it. Why is this a 20-page paper? <laughs> Why did I have to read a 20-page paper? And the worst offender of this, bar none, in my experience, was uh, Spivak. So, Spivak was my word salad gauntlet. So, Guitari Chakravorty Spivak, who is a... She's an Indian literary theorist, uh, sits down on the stage a lot. Uh, she's a feminist, but it took three times the three amount of the time to get through one of her papers than any, uh, than any other paper that I have gotten through. And essentially all I got from it in like a 40 page paper of just hell, um, Go look it up. It's not, it's beyond word salad. It's like pureed kale smoothie. Um, try it, reading one of these machine learning white papers that come out. There's like a thousand of them every week and they're all talking about like the same concepts, but they're using the most arcane abstract versions of definitions throughout their entire papers and nobody's consistent with them. So two people will call up like perceptrons transformers and others will call activations functions layers uh, and like they just mix things up just for the sake of sounding unique so they can get published and i think that's one of the the hard problems with jargon 
is on the one hand, you want scientific papers to be very specific, but on the other hand, they're doing the exact opposite by all choosing their own definitions of words. Well, like you have to learn new languages for every paper you write. Well, that's exactly right. And that's not okay. simple or neither or specific. Like it's so it defeats its own purpose. Th- one of the things that's even worse about that is that you get, um, uh, oh, geez, I'm just getting flashbacks from having it up here. So, like you have jargon and there's jargon. Um, but then there's people that want to, like, one thing I was told with this particular paper, I think it was writing wrongs. <laughs> Um, might've been a different one, but I've read a couple of her papers. Yay. I like suffering. Um, but is that, um, I was told that people, you know, there's scholars spending their entire careers deciphering what she's written. Like she was some kind of sage who knew everything, but I've like, I got through it and I figured out that all she was saying is that some people in history don't have a voice in history because they are, um, subject to the race or not race but class and race and all these um types of people and that people should form their own pronouns essentially this is where that came from one of the places where that came from so um and i got that from like a three four hour you know reading of this and i was like is that it is that all there is to it it just boils it down to some people in history don't have a voice. And I was like, duh, (laughs) like I might not have a voice in history. Like the records, like I could die. And then all the Edmonton records and Winnipeg records could just have, there could be a fire and then my name could be erased from history that easy like that. I'm not even, uh, oppressed. I'm not even part of the, well, I was, but I'm not even part of the underclass and I could be erased just like that. Like, and, I don't know. I guess that's part of like philosophically, I have to come to terms with that, you know, in a very, you know, stoic way. But at the same time, this is a, it's a, to me, this is a, an absolute farce of, um, scholarship. And it, it bugs me because they are claiming authority based on complexity, uh, and they're not actually writing or saying anything new. And that, or complex. Well, no. Yeah. So when you, when you decipher it, so like, yeah, it's like a puzzle. You get yeah. to decipher it and you get to pull it apart, but then, and it's, then a it's a smiley a, face instead of like a cathedral. You're like, Oh, that's it. Right. <laughs> it's so, so disappointing. But you contrast that with someone like Shakespeare and you, it's like, Oh, it's just a story about a guy trying to be king and then he gets stabbed. Okay. But let's dig in a bit deeper. Okay. There's a lot more here. Uh, uh, so that's, that's the thing. And I don't know people are going to be like, well, you didn't read Marx properly or you didn't do this, but like there's, um, there's a, um, uh, oh, I forget her name. There was one feminist author from the nineties who, um, won like the worst sentence, uh, award for, uh, uh, in philosophy in 1996 or something. And, um, it's just, oh yeah, in in philosophy, but like there's, you get people like this and they, they hide a lot of what's happening here is it not just makes you look like, um, 
you're, you know, super smart and you should trust me. I have authority on these matters. I've got a, I've gone like a year and a half through a four year degree. It's like, oh, wow, you must be really intelligent because you've bought the book that you're supposed to be reading. But then at the same time, there's also a, um, it's kind of a, a gatekeeping in itself. So but why get, even bother? Like, what's the point of showing people how smart you are? I, I, I never understood that, why people even do it. Like, yeah. I do it because I like the artistic, flowery nature of... Yeah, the, you like to play oh, with language. And yeah, like, but like, if, that's just me. It's a personal preference. But there are people who don't like language who do it. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't get. Like, why even bother trying to show people something... Well, it, it gets some social capital, which is one of the not if people like, walk away though. Like, no yeah, but like doing if this. you if like if hundred people walk away and you get three sycophants telling you you're great, well, who's going to be louder in that person's head? The sycophants? Are, oh, you're so you're so wonderfully smart. Now, if someone is lucky enough to have no sycophants come up and they have to actually review their their work or to see the sycophants for what they are. Oh, you're so smart. And like people who are like, this person's smart. I'm going to ride on their coattails. But at the same time, there's a bit of like, there is that, you know, you can, like you said before, there's there's psychological um, things going on there that they probably just need help. Um, but I'm not saying like everyone who does this is suffering from a psychological condition, but like, no, I think we all do it. That's the funny. Well, we all do it. And it's, <laughs> we need to get past it. And like getting help means like, I think I'm a narcissist. It's like, <laughs> now one of the things is like, I knew I had narcissistic tendencies. Like I'm wearing a collar. I'm got my hair all done. I don't have it done. I'm just keep pushing it over. Uh, like my beard's trimmed. <laughs> look great by the way. And uh, because one of the things is that there's a line between like well-groomed and narcissism. And I try not to cross over. Um, but you have to be aware of it. But, on the but other self care side is also important just for self mental health maintenance. You know what I mean? Like looking after your body is a healthy thing to do. Right. It's just like when you die it's because a, you're staring at your reflection for so long that it's a bad thing. Yeah. And like having really nice muscles is a bonus, but now I get to go and do things with those muscles and I don't get to, you know, I got to go walk to the store and I'm not going to huff and puff by the time I'm halfway there. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty neat bonus. Um, so is it virtue signaling though, or is it like begging for unearned or unmerited virtue? Like when people are doing are this subconsciously or consciously, what <laughs> are those things separate? <laughs> well, because I think they kind of are. Cause like, if I'm like, I don't know, I'm going to get in hell for this, but like, you know, you see, uh, at the hockey games now they're saying, Oh, look at how good we're doing this. We're, we're acknowledging this or that, or like you get. Um, tribal land declarations, which yeah. don't help. And, this is and they're a not signal. fixing or addressing the problem. They're just right. stating it where they never stated before. Right. So it's the most shallow thing, but it makes them look good. And this is a bit of a virtue signal. But at the same time, you get someone like the Robin D'Angelo who wrote White Fragility. Okay, now I'm showing my colors here. But um, <laughs> but like that book was an awful mess of nonsense. And it has an element of that complexity because, but it's mostly just self-flagellation. And what ends up happening is you get a signal to everybody that, look, this is what's right. This is what's going on. And here's what you need to understand if you're white. And I'm just like, um, 
Okay. Uh, but that is a sign like follow. I am intelligent. Look at this. Now follow my philosophy. So I'm showing you with the authority that I have, but it's complicated. So it's, and she brings up a bunch of like, uh, very, um, difficult people to, to, um, uh, to read and some other things that, you know, just the, how many Marxists have actually read Marx or how many postmodernists have actually read Foucault and Derrida. Um, I barely got through Derrida and I'm not going through it again. Don't make me. <laughs> well, it's like Heidegger and Hegel never got discussed either. And like when, whenever you're talking, especially with philosophers, you mentioned earlier how like the philosophers have a tendency to, to fall into word salads to try and more, um, what's the word for it? for making something more ambiguous. They, oh, they obfuscate the actual realities they're discussing intentionally yeah. so that people don't have anything to, to criticize I them for. I thought Wittgenstein was like purpose. that, but then I read him a bit more and I was like, okay, this guy's worth reading. But like Wittgenstein was out there. He was in the rough. Um, and Bertrand Russell knew that when he was bringing him up. But like <clears throat> you get like later on, he wasn't trying to obfuscate it. He was like trying to, he was he was going out there into the abstract and seeing what was there. Um, I know if you know Wittgenstein better than me, tell me in the comments and you know confirm or deny. Ludwig's the man. <laughs> He's pretty good. Uh, and uh, but you know later on you get Foucault and Derrida and Lacan, all these guys, and they are impossible to read. And you get I can't remember her name. Um, I think it's Susan Arndt. Uh, Ever heard of her? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, if I can remember, I'll bring it up later. But um, one of the things is that it does is that it ends up being a bit of a gatekeeping, and you say, okay, well, you don't understand because you know you didn't obviously didn't read it well, and it makes it intentionally, you know, it obfuscates it as you say, but that ends up making it kind of this thing that you can form a approved represent uh, interpretation of around it well here's what we believe this says and therefore here's how we're going to construct our you know our um form of scholarship so you have people um with regard so the, the they thrive on the complexity and the obfuscation um kind of like a bank does you it's like well, how do you guys work? Oh, it's so complex. Don't worry about it. Just give us, just put your money in your account and don't That's worry about exactly it. That's exactly what banks do. <laughs> and so we're doing this to our students too. We're saying, you know, it's like, okay, what does this mean? Well, well, you're not, you're not there enough. Just start a conversation, you know, just, it's just like a pat on the head. Like you're yeah. not, you're not there. You're not at our level, but that's okay. We'll help you. Yeah. Just say these things and you'll be fine. You'll get an A. And <clears throat> so it becomes this almost priesthood, I guess, where, you know, um, the Catholic church used to do this, uh, and they're very guilty for this, where they would have sermons in Latin. Why would you have it in Latin? How many people speak Latin? Well, the Catholic knew that it was not very many. And so <laughs> that's why they worked in Latin so often was because they could be like, Oh, Latin talk. I don't know any Latin words. A priori and, ipso facto deus domine. Lorem ipsum. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, read off the lorem ipsum text. <laughs> yeah. So they go there and be like, oh, wow, there's magic happening there. Now we've talked about magic and you've, you've all heard me talk about magic. Uh, and 
and um there if there's a magic there then um you can you know claim anything you say oh well there's i'm doing all these you know arcane rituals and you can do the same thing with scholarship it's like oh the key to solving oppression is in these texts, is in these sacred texts. You know, you're not allowed to say anything bad about these guys because they were the ones that first noticed that, you know, anybody could be anything and, you know, everything's a class war, but it's really not. It's a race war, but it's really not. It's an identity war, but it's really not. You should be able to have sex with anyone, but not. <laughs> it's like, it's... And in the end, rules. it all comes down to power and money. Yeah, and that's so depressing i don't like there's a reason i stopped going down that path because i was just like power and money which which i have neither i could go rage against the machine which was fun when i was a teenager that takes us to the simplicity though for me to boil it down to power and money that actually is a statement in very few words that accentuates an actual issue or subject that is complex right complexity of human interaction but you like to break it don't down, understand yeah. The plight of the American Venus. So, <laughs> but like, but you're to right. break down complexities, we should be using a whole series of simple statements, in my opinion. Like it, it, it should only be after we've got this backlog of all these simple statements that describe one complete thought that we then slap on an ism to it and refer to it as an ism, like a variable in a code, just so you don't have to re-describe everything in the simplest terms because it takes too long. But for people to start out at the complex thought and then just memorize all the things that it's supposed to mean, like, oh, what's solipsism? Oh, it has something to do with the self. And then they memorize the definition of it without actually listening or reading any of the solipsistic thinkers. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're teaching it backwards. We're, we're teaching people the isms, and then we're teaching people how we got to the ism rather than teaching the ideas and thoughts. And then saying, okay, now all of these things we just studied in the last six hours – that's this word. And that to me is how we should be teaching it. But you're a teacher, so what do you think of that? Well, that's that's generally right. Because if you like follow the Socratic method, you don't want to make it hard. You don't want to be like, well, blah, 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 15 minutes later, which I'm guilty of because sometimes I like following my logic paths. But um, generally, you don't want to go too far you want them to follow that their logic path on their own so you make a statement like what is a frog and then they're like okay it's a, the green thing okay so if i draw a picture of a green frog is that a frog well that's a picture of a frog on a piece of paper okay and you can follow this and you can keep it simple all the way through and all of a sudden you have this understanding of you know it's like okay what we just did was an exercise in platonism and then, you know, well, what makes a frog a frog, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now you understand Platonism. You understand this or that. Okay. I know I didn't do the whole thing, everybody, if you want to. But, uh, or you can follow like syllogistic logic, um, which is kind of annoying sometimes, but like, you know, um, it's just a series of simple statements that uh, go to prove each other. And you can like bring out the math to it and make it as complicated as you want. But one of the things, that we've done even on this channel is, you know, start from first principles is where, you know, you can start from something that's simple, something we know. You start from something, okay, um, something like evil. It's like, oh, evil is this very amorphous. What does it mean? Is it evil to do this? Is it evil to do nothing? Blah, blah, blah. Like, is it evil? Like, okay, let's start with it. 
pain is bad. Pleasure is good. Well, not always. Okay, but these are simple. Like everyone can understand these. Okay, so if pain is bad, but some pain is good, then bad pain is bad. Okay. What makes a bad pain? Yeah. And then you can kind of branch off into all the segments that it leads. Right. And like the whole is complex, but you're Mm -hmm. following these simple paths and that's one thing you can do. Now, sometimes you'll be writing an entire, you'll, you'll have a thought, like a big philosophical idea and you'll have to explain it and you won't have the luxury of being simple because you're, 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 you're so close to the edge. But once you write it and get your idea down, I'm like this, this is what I'm trying to say. Go through it again and then you simplify it. You make it less cryptic. You flesh it out. You use better words. You, you do this and that. Editing is supposed to be doing that. Now, I know a lot of these uh, like Spivak and a lot of the other postmodernists are guilty of, um, well, no, this is my truth as I spoke it, so I don't need editing. <laughs> it's just <laughs> but, obviously. But even like kids in school, like being taught in universities, right? They write filler. They say, oh, the teacher said that my doc, my assignment had to be five pages long. They write a two page pa- paper and fill it up. And to me, that's ass backwards. Because if you have a complete thought, you should be able to put your entire thought into one page and then to make it coherent, you expand it to five pages so that it's legible. So you're not jumping all over the place and you actually, you know, um, you preemptively put in criticisms you know that will be brought up or misunderstandings. You squash them before they're misunderstood. Like that kind of thing isn't filler to me because it's, it's, it's additive. It provides more substance and context to the things you're saying, as opposed to just making blanket statements or brushing with broad strokes. You're defining specifically what you mean by that sentence in every paragraph is basically a re reinforcement of the sentence itself. But it's like the filler we're writing in our papers now is just to make it a certain length, as opposed to actually expanding on ideas. I don't know if you found the same thing, but most, again, I think people are going about their assignments backwards. Yeah. You should be writing a complete thought and expanding it to, fo- to whatever the length of the, the assignment is, rather than finding the length of the assignment and just filling up that many pages. Well, yeah. So, that's one of the things I generally teach is like, keep it simple in the introduction. Use this sentence to say what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Tell a joke here. Tell me who you're, what sources you're going to be using here. Tell me how you're going to be using them. Like, I don't know what I'm going to be saying. Well, then let's go to the body. Make a point here, make a point here, make a point here, have them all connected. Tell me what you're thinking at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds, that sounds hard. Well, yeah, you have to actually, the whole thing is that you can't just start with, I've got to write five pages. The whole point is I have to explain this thought. Yeah. And that's where you want to start. So, if you're starting with going to, uh, you know, you're engaging in something social and you want to say, you want to um, sound smart. Uh, so uh, you go in, it's like, oh, I want to sound smart to pick up chicks or something. Um, no guys would never do that. Well, you've never met a guy then, have you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so but is, isn't it easier for that guy to just actually learn something? Cause then he can use that new thing he learned on every girl he ever meets after that. Like it's right. so much less work to just actually learn something that's in- intellectual than to pretend you're intellectual without learning. Right. Because intellectual sounds like, oh, he's smart. And that means like, oh, intellectuals make money. It's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> but like at the same time, you get that. Um, the jokes are just better. The smarter you are, the funnier you are. <laughs> well, 
It's like um, in the 19th century, you got that idea that, you know, a good wife, okay, this is going to sound bad, but when you think about it, it's really not. You know, a good wife is someone who's well-read enough to be able to hold a conversation with her husband. <gasps> My word. <laughs> but like, so it was, you see in all these like Jane Austen and Charlotte Bronte and all these books, which were- Ayn Rand. No, that's 20th century. <laughs> well, close enough. But I'm thinking more of the romantic 19th century novels um, where it's like, here's what it is to find a man and here's what it does. You know, a good woman, this is what a good woman is like. And, you know, they have all these bad women who go off and with soldiers they shouldn't be going off with or you have like... Um, yeah, that's the exact type of thing that Ayn Rand was bucking against when she wrote. She was constantly trying to like put dirt on that. Uh, oh, well, everyone's been trying to put dirt on that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that those, those like the Bronte sisters and Shelley and uh, Jane Austen were right. Men do like a woman they can talk to and they show that in the books. But the thing is that like feminism and well, Ayn Rand, I, I, I kind of want to stay away from that because I've never actually engaged with her work at all. Oh, that explains it. Yeah. yeah no, I, it I, screams I, out loud when you read her stuff. Just like yeah. power to the woman. <laughs> Yeah, I should. Okay, maybe you I'm, definitely should check her out. I I really should. I've been avoiding her because um she's kind of anathema to the left, which I was definitely a part of for a long time. So uh, maybe <laughs> I should get in. Break anyway, side track. <laughs> so um the essentially one of the things is that these um these women these ideal wives of the nineteenth century were expected um post Wollstonecraft, you know. OG feminist uh, worth reading um, who were expected to be their own person, not because and we're not, this isn't really about feminism. It's they, these women were expected to have something of their own to say and be able to engage with their men on an equal footing. And so, you know, you learn about stuff that you can bring to the table in a conversation because people like to be able to talk to their significant other go figure they're not just an object of silent you know uh, seen but not heard um and there were those men in those stories but they're always kind of like the jerks <laughs> and uh because they were moral tales but at the same time this goes for everybody like if you like you can learn the language of intellectualism without actually learning anything and the the point that we're making in such a long-winded fashion is that what are you actually trying to say rather than the show of you saying it is important. So like what we're trying to say here in such long-winded, well, we got a lot of time we can dive in deeply is that if you focus on the thing itself and try and pose it in a way that everyone can understand or like people can like understand with a bit of work, not everyone's going to get it. That doesn't matter though. Um, but you are talking to those people and you want, you know, communication is literally, I'm going to take what's in here and put it into your head in the most effective way possible. Now, if that's not happening or if it's only happening, happening with an exclusive cadre of a few, or if it's only happening um, with regard to those that are in my, my work intellectual or social group well okay that's all right but at the same time if i can explain something that i want people to understand what i'm like and make an argument 
and everyone gets it, whether or not they agree with me doesn't matter. I've said my piece in the most effective way I can. And the thing that you need with that is simplicity because it's already complex and you have to boil what's in your head down because a lot of what's your thoughts are happening in your head aren't words. You're not thinking in words. You're thinking in impressions. You're thinking in images. You're thinking in feelings. You're, you, know, you are thinking in words sometimes, but it's a jumble of everything. And getting that from in here to a page or to a sentence takes practice. And the first and it, the thing you have need to have is something to say and stuff to back it up and the ability to say it. So I can say whatever I want. I can explain and the open-mindedness to correction. I think that's huge. Oh, yeah. like, there's no point in communicating anything if you're not willing to receive an uh, opposing point of view. Because otherwise, you could just talk to a mirror and you'd literally not be any worse or better off. You, like you need to be responsive as well as part of communication. And I think that comes down to a lot of like what we do when we're communicating, whether verbally or non-verbally, um, is is relational. It's, it's connecting to other people who are extraneous to ourselves. Uh, the, the most intimate connection we have is with ourselves being in our own bodies and party to our own experiences uniquely. Um, but when we communicate our own experiences and thoughts, it's a connection, uh, outside of ourselves. Like you were saying, I think that's really important to note too, because a, a disingenuous or a dishonest type of communication is basically slighting yourself of the connection you're trying to make, you know, and at the same time. Yeah. It's like you're shortchanging your own experience with other people by having disingenuous experiences and communicating or by not receiving their communications intentionally or by misrepresenting yourself in your communications to others. Which is extremely ironic because it is so if, ironic. if you're doing it, then the whole purpose of you taking offense at it is self-centered. Just like having <laughs> a long conversation about simplicity. <laughs> yeah. Well. It's just beauty and ir it, irony. Oh, this is one of the most, this is one of the more ironic uh, things. Well, like our humor episode and how, was that actually funny? <laughs> more ironic? Is that moronic? <laughs> I don't know. Moronic? It's going to be iconic, that's for sure. It's probably just going to come across as laconic. <laughs> okay. Thong. Shit. Diphthonic. So, um, so I, with that though, let me let me ask you something oh, else then. Um, just before we move on, I did find out who it was. Oh, who's it that? Was Judith Butler. Uh, so I have a passage here, and this is a good example of this to top off what we were talking about. <clears throat> the uh, circular inclusion of indigenous perspectives is differentially problematic if we cannot also attend to the taken for granted one word and naturalized epistemological slash ontological and axiological no commas commitments enactments of what we are including perspectives into. Oh, there's a whole bunch of these. Oh, there's an even worse. So one. racism's bad. Yeah, <laughs> the move from a structuralist account in which capital is understood to structure social relations in relatively homologous ways to a view of hegemony in which power relations are subject to repetition, convergence, and rearticulation brought the question of temporality into the thinking into 
the thinking of structure and marked a shift from a form of Althusian theory that takes structural totalities as theoretical objects to one in which insights into the contingent possibility of structure, inaugurate and renewed conception of hegemony is bound up with the contingent sites and strategies of their rearticulation of power. There is one period in that entire thing. But, but again, that entire se sentence could be summarized by it, it's bad to control other people and there's evidence of control being had. Yeah, that's it. But no, I need to say, I need to get every aspect. And one of the things I found, uh, sorry, uh, before we move on, mm -hmm. is that, um, and I've seen this in a lot of scholars uh, worrying about their paper or worrying about their um, thesis, is that you there's a there's a tendency for someone writing to try and fit everything into uh, a work. Oh, I need to keep this in there. I need to shove this in there. I need to get this in there. And one of the things that you, that's something you have to resist because it will burden your prose immensely. You need to only say what you are trying to say, nothing else. I, you're not trying to get the entirety of all creation into your paper. If you want something to say, write another paper. Uh, <laughs> I left so much out of my thesis because it's like, this is cool, not important. This is neat, not important. This would be really helpful, but getting it in there would not be. So, I ditched it and I ditched a lot. I must have ditched like 100 pages worth of stuff. But um, it's that would have been it would have it would have been completely counterproductive. There was one guy in my faculty who had been in there for eight years because he just kept adding, adding, and adding, and adding. Oh, we need to put this in. We need to put this is important. It's like either make it a book or write seven papers and move on. You need to move on with your life. That's a really common problem for authors, actually. It's because yeah. they feel like they put the energy, they they invested the time and energy. It feels like um, almost like a loss or a waste once it's thrown out. Uh, I sort of addressed that with one of the characters in my book too, because I thought it was really funny that I came to that. I'm like, why do I even care? It's just text on a paper. Like I can write more words. Yeah, but like, there's a personal attachment to things you put energy into. I think we talked about the IKEA effect a little bit last time. It might yeah. have something to do with it. One of I think, but moving on is that how I think this might have been where you're going to go. But um, what can you do to actually be simpler? Well, I was going to ask you something else first, if I could. Okay, yeah, let's let's go into that then, yeah. Sorry, the reason being is just for organization of thought. I want to sort of pin on something you've already oh. said, and it leads into that. So You've got a plan. Let's do your plan. I, I do then. have a plan, yeah. I'm sorry. You've got a dynamic that will better facilitate the uh, discourse of our uh, socially and racially engendered uh, perspectives with regard to um, the podcast in the day in the where's Dimor my noose? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Where did I put that noose? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was I was going to ask you about um people's use of complexity as an excuse to not know things. I wanna I wanted to get to that because what I've noticed in my day to day casual experiences with other people which is rare because I don't have many friends, but <laughs> when helps. I do speak with my friends, <laughs> I make it uh, Dos Equis. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the excuse not to know really bugs me because it's like the fact that there is complexity shouldn't be reason for people to not uh, um, participate or engage or, you know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't be an aversion. You shouldn't walk away from complexity just because things are complex. 
And part of what we're saying here is we should keep things simple and not over complexify things. But on the same token, there's the risk on the other side is always to oversimplify. So maybe you could talk a bit about oversimplification, not just that simplicity is good, but also when simplicity is bad. Yeah. Or like how people use it as a tool for escapism or to justify uh, anxieties or, you know, personal tendencies and flaws can be. um, Yeah. Because stimulated by it. Scholarship is hard. Like not just like, oh, go to university scholarship. No, no. Like anyone can do scholarship. If you're interested in a topic, you can go to the library and read up on the topic. It takes effort. You have to go to the library. You have to find the books. Internet. It really doesn't take any effort. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm, it, no, it is effort. But like you, you have to. Like, that's the mentality, though. That oh, that's and, too hard, or it takes too much effort. Yes, the thing is that in like uh, the archives, where it's like, how do we get people into the archive? It's like problem isn't getting them in. The problem is what happens when they're there. Because what happens when you're there is you bring them a box full of stuff, and you're like, there you go. And they're like, what are you gonna do? It's like you need to read what's in that box. Go through the box. You have 30 more boxes to go after this that you ordered. Beep. What do you mean? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, now you have to do all the study. Now, the thing is, is that that's complex. And I'm thinking, and I think a lot of what's happening is um, there is a, it's okay if you don't get it. Now, okay, yeah, you don't need to understand complex calculus. It helps, honestly. But um, I wish I did. But at the same time, we're, in education, we have that. Um, now, when I say simplicity, I don't mean like dumb, because simplicity is actually, in my opinion, a lot, a little more difficult uh, in some ways, because it takes a bit of effort to bring it down to that. But, and I think there's a difference between simplicity and ignorant, um, because. Um, you know, you have Isaac Asimov who noticed a trend in like the fifties and sixties, which is probably a universal trend said like, there's a growing tendency in our society where people will assume that their ignorance is better than another's, um, intelligence. And so we see this a lot. And so, you know, especially with COVID. (laughs) Yeah. And it's pretty universal. Um, you get that like hierarchy of competence or the, uh, the Peter principle. Yeah. <laughs> where, but at the same time, we're also saying that, no, no, it's okay. If you don't, if you're having trouble with this now, it's okay. You don't need to put the work in. It's like, well, then when are you going to do it? You know, this is grade one. It's time to, it's time to get to work. <laughs> like, I'm not saying like, or oh, grade one kids should be like, no, that is the perfect time for them to be learning their ABCs and stuff. And it's like, well, grade nine, I was told I was let off real easy um, yeah, I was having a lot of problems, but at the same time, um, you get German kids in and they know, they know calculus already in grade 10 and you're just like, okay, wait, what's going on? They're telling us that, you know, don't need to put the work in there. They're, 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 there's a bit of molly coddling going on and because this stuff is hard and hard stuff hurts, um, you know, you you have to read a book and it sucks and you have to get through the next book and it sucks, but you have to get that, that paper done. So you, you get through it and it wasn't pleasurable at all. And you didn't even like reading the stuff because but even though like the professor likes it, you don't like it, but you get through it. And I'm saying part of this is kind of like suck it up. But at the same time, a lot of it is um, 
you know, granted, it may not be your thing. You're not allowed, not everyone needs to be an expert and not doesn't need to put all the effort in the world into it. But if you signed up for something and you're not willing to um, put the work in to understand the complexities of something and then have the audacity to speak towards that uh, without having read the paper, um, looking at you, History 3990, um, then... <laughs> um, then what's the point? So can, can I, can I word this maybe a, a slightly different way then? Yes. Please make this more simple. <laughs> <laughs> I think the virtue in simplifying things comes from knowing a whole bunch about it and reducing it to something that's communicable. Bam. Whereas being simple for the sake, because you don't know everything else is not as virtuous, let's say. And to pretend something that is simple is more complex than it actually is without even knowing the complexity of it, to me, is like even one layer lower on the, the virtue scale. So what I think we should strive for is the type of simplicity that comes from a competent awareness that's reduced as opposed to an ignorance that's amplified. Well, you, you realize what you just did there is what you just said, um, which is beautiful but yes i like poetry <laughs> we've rhymes. covered this but um the um because what you just described is exactly what we've been doing i said something i was trying to i had a thought that i needed to put together and it wasn't put together particularly properly i was bringing in a bunch of stuff You're but it's like, because of your open thinking mm. that i could articulate it differently so what we've been doing is observation bringing in a bunch of evidence coming to a conclusion, analyzing a conclusion, simplifying and altering it, and then going, here's what we found. And we definitely do that. So if you don't go to the end of our podcasts, please do the end. Of yeah, that's episode. what people are missing in the production here. It's not about the random conversation. It's about the progression. Yeah, unless you think we're gorgeous, in which case, like, cause. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we take Bitcoin. Um, no, I yeah. will do shows for comments. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah and i think that is a good way of putting it too because you say something and then you try and say it again better and then you try and say it again better but strangely that you know that refinement of it being simple being more simple and having more brevity has more nuance because you've gone through that gauntlet of you know critique and rewriting and erasing drudgery yeah, and that's hard. It sucks. Editing is the worst. I hate the it. Absolute worst. But it's so necessary. Anybody who says you don't need editing, that's a bit subs suspect. You ask them what they mean because. And that's um, usually the part you're most proud of when you have a finished work is all the edited content that you did because mm -hmm. you got it right, even though it was painful to do. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's. it's, And then. What you're boiled down to is now you have, if you've, if you've put that work in, in to understand something complex and then you, you boil it down, you've been thinking about it, you have something in your head and now you have it forever. That's something that you can explain to everybody forever. And you put the work in and you've gained something instead of just learning by rote. Like it's, it's one thing to learn what the Bible says. A lot of Christians do this. You know, I'm going to make a lot of enemies right now. I'm making a lot of enemies lately. Um, and oh, Hebrews and Muslims do it too, so we might oh, yeah. as well get everyone on the train. <laughs> yeah, the Moisin just essentially yells out the Quran without anybody actually 
thinking what it means, said it. Well, they have to memorize it to, to do their prayers too. Every yeah. time they, they get called a prayer, it's a memorized surahs usually, I think. Yeah. Anyway. But if you memorize like a passage of the Bible and don't actually understand what it means and don't think about it just from a memorization, are you actually a Christian? <laughs> and that's kind of where I'm sitting is that if you are, if you know all the things to say to get an A in a class, but then you get out into the world and you're useless, does your degree mean anything? No, it doesn't. You're just a person who learned the tricks. Um, and, uh, but they learn to do what they're told. Like the questions on the test tell you exactly how to get the, the answer, right? Mm -hmm. You have, you know, a yard that's 45 by 60 feet and we've got to make a fence and the fence has to be six feet high. They, they give you the information and the goal and the objective and they tell you figure it out. And then you memorize a formula that they use with these types of questions and you just plug the numbers in. But to me, that's not learning math. Like when you have to design a neural network using graph nodes and stuff, like nobody's going to be holding your hand showing you how to write an algorithm. Right. You like, should know it by then. They try and like, that's one thing that like pedagogy right now is absolutely abysmal. They're trying to do all this new stuff and we need to do new stuff. It's like, stop trying to trick your students. Yeah. But it's all <laughs> like, hand holding. It like, is. Well, and then they're, but then on tests, they try and trick them. This is one thing I'm having multiple to do with this. Choice, like, yeah. It's like, oh, what's the, what's the trick in this thing? What's the trick? Well, what's this? What, like, is there, like, there's always some, like, thing. And it's just like, no, I'm asking you to think and then come up with an answer. Like, yeah. whether or not it's right will be in the discussion after the answer. But, like, and then at the same time, you have, yeah, you have that hand holding. And so I forgot where I was going to go. Well, I think that sort of leads us into what you were about to say before I cut you off earlier mm -hmm. about how to go about simplifying properly. So, right. how do yeah. we implement more simplicity in our lives? First principle, say what you mean. Don't cloud it. Don't try and be poetic. You can be poetic later. Yeah. Um, if you're writing poetry, be poetic. But if you're communicating <laughs> to people, don't. That doesn't mean be a robot either. Like, practice saying things a little differently and like if you can say something say it in an interesting way but at the same time don't say it like uh like in a you know cryptic way but like say what you mean first and then go and be creative after um mm -hmm. so get to um, the point man and there's a difference between that and they're like you know being like oh like we've all met actors and artists who are just oh always, yeah oh, heads God. in the clouds yeah, it's like, dude, you're not actually that creative, are you? <laughs> and well, I sometimes like to cut out pictures from magazines and put them together in a scrap. I call it a scrapbook. I don't know if anyone else does. I invented that, but like, <laughs> like I've met actual poets and artists, like actual ones, and they are they're deep in their stuff and they're willing to gauge beyond it. Um. But like you see someone who's just enjoying being an artist or being an actor or being avant-garde or something. It's just like, okay, it's about, it's not about the thing in itself, but with simplicity, it's just, you want like one thing that I try and do in my life is ignore everything that doesn't matter. Say what you're trying to say and take things at face value. So these are three things to start with, but like at the same time, don't overcomp the hardest thing is don't overcomplicate your life. What are you doing? What's in front of you? And what do you need to be doing? Why are you doing that? 
are you suffering because this or that? But like, essentially, we put a lot of stuff in front of our faces to hide what we actually don't want to think about. So, you know, you, you go on a date. Did she like me? Did she not? Did she blah, blah, blah? Well, let's boil it down to its simple points. Did it seem like she had fun? Well, yeah, but we, I don't, I can't trust that. Well, maybe you should ask her. <laughs> this is a simple solution. Or you could just wait till the next date. If you screw up, well, you found one date, you could probably find another. Or let her tell you she's unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> if and she so, doesn't communicate it, it's not your fault. <laughs> and like, or, you know, you get called into the boss's office. Oh, what did I do? You know what you did. Or maybe you don't. They're laying you off from something you can't handle. But either way, it's happening. And to me, not it, life got a lot easier when I decided to just stop trying to be uh, cryptic and poetic and, you know, show off and stuff like that. And I think the problem is, is that you see people no sorry not the problem one thing i was noticing was there, there was a girl at work that i worked with forever ago and she's not even gonna watch this if she does i don't even think she'll remember it but i it's just like i made an offhand remark to someone else while she was off doing something and i was like ah she's a simple girl isn't she and they're like oh how could you say that that's like it's like oh it's like what are you talking about it's like no no that's not an insult and the reason it's not an insult is because that girl, though, was a very... What was the insult? It's simple. I just called her a simple girl. Mm. And so, like, you know, you call someone simple, it's like you're calling them dumb. Now, I was aware of this, but I wasn't thinking about it because I was just saying it offhand. I was just, you know, I'm tired. And I'm just like, man, she's pretty simple. It's like, oh, how could you say that? Now, to me, that's... Okay, yeah, it's an insult. I'm not going to ignore the fact that it's like, oh, I didn't know. It's like, no, I was... I wasn't thinking too hard about what well, I was saying. it used to be a way of calling people dim-witted back oh, yeah. when you couldn't swear on TV and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, PG was everywhere. You get the, uh, the the notion of a simpleton, you know, it's an idiot. And But the thing was is that I had noticed in this person that there wasn't anything other than what you were seeing. There wasn't much, like there wasn't a, you know, elephantine amount of, you know, other stuff she wasn't some complicated person but at the same time there wasn't anything hidden there wasn't any uh there was an honesty to it and there wasn't anything um there wasn't any there's no marketing it's just true and right description of herself and presentation i should say yeah there was what's the word i'm looking for there wasn't any look over here look oh Oh, no, no Yeah, Yeah, the the, sleight of hand. The sleight of hand to show you what I want to show you or to uh, do this or I'm going to – a lot of people um, will put on an air of happiness to show that, you know, oh, God, I'm not unhappy. Let's not talk about unhappiness. I don't want to deal with it. This this person would show their unhappiness but like just went about their life and I thought, okay, there's something there. But that wasn't the first time I had noticed that. But why should I worry about what people think of me? 
when I don't even know what I think of me. So I need to cultivate my own self before I worry about how people are seeing myself. But why would somebody take offense just like knee-jerk reaction? Like to me, as a Buddhist, I would consider simplicity would be like achieving nirvana or being enlightened. Like simplicity would be the thing that makes you um, even spiritually more um, more human or more... Well, it makes sense to take as an insult because in English it is... It's it's more it's easier to construe that as an insult than not. But so, why why do we keep saying intelligence is so important to people's value? I don't get that. I, I see no difference between a smart person and a dumb person as a value of a human being. If somebody's simple, it's no different from saying they're ugly. They just are. Like well, I'm who, who cares? Relatively it's intelligent. Well, I think I think intelligence is correlated with capability and sometimes like if you get someone with an IQ of like 70 then you, they're gonna need a lot of taken care of but like that doesn't mean they don't have um but they're not I mean, lesser people no no of course like, it's not. not an insult to but be dumb people you dumb but the thing is is that like I can't engage as much with like I, I was looking for a very intelligent wife when I was looking for a wife because mm -hmm. I knew that I'd get more meat out of my life because what you really mean though, is that you want a wife who's intelligent relative to you, not because yeah. she's not a good enough person. If she's not intelligent, right? Like this is what I mean. Like the core essence no, of, people, I'm not making a value judgment, but we right. do like, if I'm hiring, but, I will look take for intelligence. To, if you take offense to being called simple, I would say that would have to be a value judgment for it to be offensive, right? Yeah. Well, people are worried about other people, you know, what if they find out I'm actually an idiot? Well, guess what? We're all idiots. Yeah. Together. You better hope that nobody notices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, please. So, <laughs> Even the like, smartest people are dumb sometimes. Like, Einstein was terrible at uh, um, helping his, his friend's <laughs> grieving widow. Oh, yeah. don't worry. In, in the sense of space time, then he's not really dead and you guys never existed. So you can't be grieving the loss of your husband. Like, <laughs> he had this weird logic, but because his mind worked differently, he was really good at some things and really bad at other things like everybody else on the planet. Mm -hmm. But like simplicity itself, that's what I don't get because like the word doesn't mean invaluable or useless or less of a person or anything. If you are simple and somebody thinks you're dumb and you know that you're not, the person calling you simple is dumb. Therefore, why are you offended? Or if you believe them and you say, I am dumb, but it has nothing to do with my character or virtue as a human being. So why would I be offended by it? So, or they could take it the Buddhist sense and be like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but most, like it is historical quirk and the way English works in our society, it is an insult. Uh, but that doesn't mean like if you think about it, but that, like I was being blithe. Now, the so, thing is, is that what, what you get out of now, I don't really. The reason why I'm belaboring it is because it actually covers everything we're talking about here. We're talking about simplicity as a better, higher aspiration, but at the same token, we're taking offense to the term as if intellectualism is all there is to our, our core being. Well, I'm not taking offense to simplicity, but if I call someone simple, that. Not you. I'm like, saying I we as a society. Better. It's colloquially, <laughs> that's normal for people to think simple means dumb. Right. Not just now, you and not just her. But like, I, why does it matter? That's what I don't get. Why are people trying to prove they're intelligent by making things that are simple sound complex? Because they're insecure. 
<laughs> about their intelligence yeah. because we keep calling people dumb and valuing their humanity as a reflection of their intellect. And well, I think, I think that's retarded. I think, <laughs> um, well, we do value people um, passively for their capability. A person that's more capable is going to generally have more success. But that doesn't mean we can't help those that, you know, can't seem to get their shit together because sometimes it's not their fault. Sometimes you shouldn't have been taking drugs. Um, but but why the, is intelligence so important? That's what I don't get. Like, why go through all this rigmarole trying to make com- um, make themselves sound smarter than they actually are? It's because they're worried and insecure or whatever about um, well, people's perception of, the, yeah. of their core being based on their intellect. And that fundamentally is wrong just based on our, our laws of morality. Right. But one of the things is that we're also selling the, <clears throat> we're also selling at them something that is, uh, kind of dumb. Like we're telling everybody that they have to have a big mansion and, and a house and they have to have, you know, a CEO job and they have to be, you know, and one of these weird, well, weird visions of success, you know, but then we're also telling them that like marriage isn't a version of success. Having kids isn't a version of success anymore because, you know, you're immoral for having kids you <laughs> but like the it's pretty much that where i'm gonna draw that line just with those two words the my anglo-saxon monosyllables but <laughs> um i think <clears throat> i don't really want to labor that too much because i want to get into uh i want to kind of spring off of something you said a bit uh previous is that and I think it'll explain a lot of this is that um, I think it works with a, a bit of a metaphor. I'm going to keep this simple because I, everyone has a bedroom or a living room or a kitchen. Depends on what you want. Pick one. You're that room. If you decide to store a bunch of stuff in it, you know, it becomes cluttered and stuff. It's good at storing that stuff because it's space and it's your space. You can't keep it outside because it'll get all wet. So, you know, it's, but then it becomes hard to get to your, uh, you know, like it's hard to get to your bed because there's stuff all over the floor. There's boxes there. Uh, you can't find the stuff you want and you could fit a, you can fit a ton of stuff in there. You know, some people have small rooms, some people have large rooms, some people have white rooms, some people have black rooms. So yeah, the metaphor is not that deep, but it's a good one. So, but you can fit a lot of stuff. paint. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, um, the, some people have a lot of windows. Anyway, I got many windows. Uh, but, um, the, it's cause <laughs> it's you're a visionary. Fun. Yeah. I have, uh, you know, not going to make through the three jokes I came up with in my head just right there. So now one thing you can do, uh, you can do the whole Jordan B. Peterson thing and clean your room. Okay. But that, that's a good way to start, but that's a good way to start on something else. That's, um, getting tasks done. But one of the things if we're taking this metaphor down is that, um, by organizing the room, all the stuff in it, you, you're able to use it better. Okay. But then what happens if you get rid of the stuff that you don't actually need in the room, you know, duplicate clothes or, uh, that garbage, or, you know, do you really need that big of a garbage can? Maybe go through everything and see what you need and don't need. Then you get rid of all that stuff. You get rid of a bit more. And then all of a sudden you have all this room this room to live and it looks better and 
you have an easier choice of clothes and you, you, you're organizing yourself in a better way. You've made it simpler. A mess is complex. It's needlessly complex. And then all of a sudden you find yourself able to, you know, you can, you, you tidy it up and you, not only is it now simple, but you've been able through the simplification to, you know, dress it up, make it look good, make something like this a room you could bring someone to, uh, wink, wink. But now, within that simplicity, you're still having simple, but you can have explain the simplicity in a complex and nuanced manner. But now you are, it's more effective by. And a people, other people who come in, you say it's an organized mess. You bring another person in there, say, okay, I don't understand what's going on here. But you clean it up and people get it. It may be a different context. There's different color clothes, you know, there's carpet instead of hardwood. And, you know, they have a different shape bed or they have a water bed for some reason. Um, but they still understand it now. They can get their mind around it. They, they don't understand, they don't have the muscle memory to get to, you know, wake up, grab your clothes in the same way without thinking. But it's there and it's understandable. Now, this is just, okay, the metaphor, if you haven't been, if you've been playing games while you're watching this, is literally just, this is your mind. And this is your mind on simplicity. And this is your mind on complexity. And I think the metaphor works because what don't you need in your life? Well, you don't need to be neurotic about every, what everyone's thinking about. Get rid of that. Um, it's hard because what are they thinking? Well, you know, talk to them. Um, you don't see, I think the problem with those people is they actually believe they do need it. They believe they need everything. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Like that's and, why there's so much mess and chaos is because they hold on to everything. Right. And so it rules that, that clutter, that complexity rules you more than, um, you rule your mind and it ends up being your master and simplicity is taking control of yourself to some extent. Um, I've never actually put it like that or thought about it like that, but I kind of like it. Uh, it sounds like the order of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Fukuoka. and I'm not saying be rigid and like have like a timetable. I'm just saying like, get rid of the things you don't need and your, your actions and your, your complications and your, 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 your flourishes that are there to make you seem what you're not. So you have all this stuff. Look at how much stuff I have. I got so much stuff and you all have, we all have this stuff and we're carrying all this stuff around with us in our heads and you don't need to say what you mean. And that's it. Just say what you mean. You can be as blunt. Well, you have some tact, you know, there's politeness. Politeness isn't something that you need to get rid of, but it isn't also something you need to use all the time. But say what you mean. And a lot of that stuff in your brain will become useless. Oh, I need to know how to use a metaphor in order to tell the hamburger person that I want my fries like this. It's like, no, salty fries, please. <laughs> Love that salt. Um, or, um, Now it changes for everybody. For me, there was a lot of stuff that I was going through that I was holding this baggage and I, I really didn't know what was going on. I was, my complexity was that of confusion. Um, I had no idea where I was going, what I was doing. And I had all this stuff in the hopes that one of these threads was going to be the way I needed to go. Um, and I just started disregarding that and I started hiding everything 
and it was simple on the outside and complex on the inside because I wasn't showing anybody who I really was. And I stopped doing that and I found the thread that I needed to pull and I found the things I needed to do and I found um, kind of a power within me that I could use in everyday life to argue or to get what I want, get what I want and not in like a, I'm going to get what I want and manipulate people. No, I'm going to go and work for the things that I want. And this, it's really hard to talk about simplicity because I'm saying just get rid of the stuff you don't need and do what you need to do. But I think you need to describe like how you figure out things that you don't need because people think mm -hmm. they need the things that they have that they don't need. That's the problem. The problem mm -hmm. with people hanging on to things that are neatly senseless is that they've attributed value and carry it with them because they've attributed value to it, but they're incapable or not yet aware of how to distinguish or differentiate useful, utile uh, items of metaphorical note versus simply stating what needs to be stated simply. I think one of the ways, and it's going to sound a little um, backwards, is to Go through your actual physical stuff and get rid of some of it. Just a lot like, of it. <laughs> a lot of it. Like what do you actually, what's a trinket? What do you not actually need? And then getting rid of that, you get used to giving up something, you know, noticing the feeling uh, that you have when something is um, of only potential, uh, only dubious potential value. Because like, like, do I actually need this thing? No, get rid of it. Well, what if I need it one day? Or what if I do this with my life? What if I do that with my life? Well, what are you doing with your life right now? Well, nothing. Well, then how is that going to happen? <laughs> get yeah, rid of it. So I think you're sort and of then, blocked. And then, well, so, sorry, uh, but yeah, sorry, that feeling you can take and you can move that into more mental things. But sorry, yeah, you were going to say. No, I think you were describing minimalism. I was trying to help you. I've been thinking about minimalism <laughs> through this conversation and I don't know if it's the same thing because minimalism is a good place to start. Um, okay, I am. I have rejected everything that's outside. Now what? Well, now you can build from there. But I, Go I, forth with just you and you're going to stop being minimalist real fast. And quick. <laughs> but, but as we were just speaking, just like how to get started on simplified thought, mm -hmm. minimalism is a good way to start. Yeah. But I was sort of getting at. Forces it, it you put you in the frame of mind yourself. of actually evaluating things for what they're worth and what to hold on to. Right. And and that's 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 a yeah. Cause not just like artistic minimalism, because like, okay, you got a blank canvas. Okay, now you have perfect freedom to paint whatever you want. Perfect yeah, freedom. Not like scary. Diogenes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but where the, I'm a bit conflicted with all this though, is because I'm of a type of person where I'm almost exclusively stimulated by complexity. Like yeah. for certain, I don't know how many people are like that. Maybe it's just my OCD, but like, no, I think that's I, one of the reasons that this happens is because complexity sometimes is like fascinating and you can, yeah, hold that's it. just it. It's like this beauty in the intricacies and the details of intermingling complex parts. You know what I mean? Like complex integrated systems are really like a watch, all the gears in a watch as a watch is ticking. You could just watch a watch. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, amazing. <laughs> I'll read something. And, um, well, that's a lot of, like, I hear a lot of people talk about math like that. It's like, 
it's 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 kind of a game. I love it. I just, mm-hmm. I just I get it and I do the thing and then I get a little endorphin boost from solving the equation and I keep going and it's just this complexity and they get used to that and like more power to them. But the same thing, you go into nature, and you look into a forest and you're standing in the middle of a forest and there's this cacophony of information coming at your head and your brain's just like, ah, the tree, bird, sky. And, but you're sitting there and you're just like, this is nice. And you're sitting in a spot of infinite complexity in the forest and you're just taking it in. Well, we are evolved for that to some extent, but it is nice to hear just an infinite amount of trees just swish back and forth and just all these bugs and you know that there's the neat thing about that example too is everything around you is so complex but it's also so simple so Mm. like when i sit in a forest full of trees i'm amazed by the random dispersal of tree growth and then i'm amazed by the way that the uh, genetics of the tree with very simple instructions tell it to branch and then i'm Mm. amazed that our language uses the word branch before we even knew how genetics worked you know what I mean? Yeah. To know that those genetics are like recursive function calls in a, in a program that I write in software. It's so, just all the more fascinating how simple things are <laughs> fundamentally in their complexity. Like to me, that that's, a, that's what's most amazing. But it's really hard to say, be more simple, but also appreciate the complex. But right. don't overcomplexify, but o- don't oversimplify. Like the, the think- whole... The whole discussion we're having today feels hard to grasp, even though it's so simple and belabored. (laughs) Don't do this. Okay. How? But like, I think you're right. Cause like one of the things that we do, but the thing is that we can, a lot of people make the complexity part of their personality, you know, like you make an aspect of yourself. So I, you know, you saw someone who writes and I have this style and now, or you have someone who, um, this is my style. I tell everyone everything all the time. It's like, okay, so your company doesn't get anything done. (laughs) So that's the thing. Like if you're, if you're working, I'm not going to tell, um, okay. You're, when I send an email or something at work, um, I'm going to tell them what they need to know and what I think they need to know in the simplest form, because here's what I'm doing. Blah. Does no nuance to that. Here's what I'm going to do. Blah. I need your opinion on this. Blah. And so they go like, okay, so we both have our complexities, but we're engaging with the things that we can engage with so that we can move on with our day and move on with the work. And if they need more information, then we can have that discussion in a meeting, which is what a meeting's supposed to be for. <laughs> um, so... And then you can prepare for it and you can say it in the simplest possible terms so you don't waste everybody's time. <laughs> right. Complexity is there for, I guess, enjoyment, like you said. Or if, you know, um, it's been come to my acknowledgement that we need to discuss this in a long form manner because you need to understand this in order to move forward. If not, well, then we're just all going to get on with our jobs. Um, I don't need the plumber to explain to me what he's doing when he's fixing my pipes. Um I might ask him because he's in my house and he's rummaging through my stuff. So I'm going to engage with him in a friendly manner and thing that's, you know, I'm going to add some complexity to the situation in order to interact with the guy. And I'll be like, what's that pipe do? <laughs> I don't, then I think part of it is knowing, and this guy, I guess kind of where the wisdom comes in, knowing where complexity is important. Cause I don't need to know the chemical structure of the pipe that he's putting under my sink. Like 
polyvinyl carbonate probably. But um, the but you certainly I, don't need the plumber saying like you have to attach a 90 down to the elbow for the P trap near the PRV valve. Like that's not helpful to anyone who's not a plumber. The pressure release valve saying the whole word instead of the acronym that you know they don't know. Mm. That's the type of complexity simplification that I think we're talking about. Where right. if you know the other person doesn't know the words you're going to use, use the word, then explain it or use a different word. Don't mm -hmm. use the word because someone won't understand it. Yeah. That, I think that's sort of maybe I missed the mark or. No, it's uh, to simplify it. Don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very nuanced because it's so circumstantial. Um, but. I think we've come I up with we some, I think we're coming up with some good axioms. Um one of the people that has definitely influenced my thought on this are um the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius in particular, who's like, Yeah, you see those people over there doing their thing? Yeah? Don't worry about that. Focus on what you're doing. It's like why are you worrying about what other people do when they when you don't even respect them? <laughs> so and this has Dale Carnegie yeah, taught me that. And so Carnegie. There's a lot of like this isn't this isn't new knowledge and we're not breaking any bounds. We're just it, we're trying to work it through our brains so we can better use it and hopefully this helps everyone else better use it. But it comes down to showing off doesn't get you what you want. Just say what you mean. And if you want to have some flourish after, you know, practice with it. Write some poetry. See what happens. Watch yourself. And work, work at it. it. Like massage that po poetry. Don't just write fluff and be like, okay, hey, done. I'm good. Yeah. Like <laughs> actually put the work into editing a really carefully thought out string of set of words. Cause that to me is far more fulfilling than just having a quantity of produced product. And having a quantity of quality produced product is useful. You don't want it to be over quality because then you don't produce enough. Finding balance and moderation as One always. One of the things to key. do to practice would be literally to just go to, um, go to your, you know, your parents or something or, uh, have someone, have a layman read your papers, like a layman being someone outside of your field. Um, have a, you know, go talk to what you're studying with your grandparents or your parents or something, um, unless they're in your field, uh, and try to explain what you learned in class. And they'll probably be have some more to say than you'll expect them to um, because they are probably interested in this complexity you're throwing down on the table. But if you can explain it to them in a way that a layman understands, well, you've just simplified it to an extent that someone who hasn't done the reading you have can get it, which means, you know, they kind of grasp it and now you get it. And you don't have to use the flowery language anymore. You can use those words you just came up with. And a lot of scholarship and a lot of the um, a lot of the literature in the past twenty five hundred years, um, the best stuff that makes it through is stuff that speaks these simple facts in a way that um, allows us to get it without uh, too much effort. So you know, you read Aurelius and he just says it in such a way that's matter of fact. Don't worry about it. You know what? Think about your death. Now move on with your life. Don't worry about what other people are saying about you. 
they're probably talking about you like that because they don't, they're worried about themselves. Or you know, I think on that front, Seneca was probably a better resource than Marcus Aurelia for um, because he wrote to the common people a yeah. lot of times, especially Seneca's, with respect to life and death and grievance and all that. And well, I like I just read the Meditations again. And yeah, again. Aurelius is great, but I think it's more academ- academic than uh, Seneca, or at least it's presented more academically than Seneca. Yeah, and but he does do a good show of um, being like the first two books are pretty much just like be grateful. Here's how I'm grateful. You can do the same. But like the simplicity that we're talking about needs to be cultivated in your own way, and everyone's going to have it differently. My simplicity is not the same simplicity that yours will be because you are a different person. Um, it, what works for me might not necessarily work for you. The the meta facts will, but like you know what it means for me to say what I mean and what it means for another to, or what it means for me to take people at face value. It might be harder for other people, especially if you have a narcissistic git in your family. Uh, so you have to actually just, you know, decipher everything they're saying. Um, I think everybody then, just needs to carry around like a pocket Socrates, like the gadfly that just pokes at every thought that comes by. Like everybody should just do that. And I know I say that because I'm a philosopher, but I, I, I think everybody should just pretend Plato or um, Socrates is sitting in the back pocket saying like, hey, that's a weird thought. Why are you thinking what, that? Why do you like you that? Why would you say buddy? it like that? Well, it's just like a, a, uh, yeah, like be objective about yourself. Have not forever, but just no, like, you know, for a day. You don't need, yeah. And just be like, why are you doing this? Just be critical of your own actions. And of then, every thought. Like, why, it, why are you offended by that? Why, why did you say it that way? Why, and why did you stay quiet when you should have spoken out your, that's not what you meant? Why did you lie to them? And, you know, like every little thing that pops into your head. Right. And I think people do that. But the thing is, like, if you don't, follow through like what can you do that would be make that better what can you do that would force you to um act more effectively in that situation a lot of there's a, a lot of people just get neurotic a lot of people are already doing this they know what they're doing wrong uh they're just not doing anything about it or they're just putting the blame onto other people uh, like we all kind of know what we like we all know our failings because we enumerate them in our minds um I but don't think we do it very The question is well, like, no, we don't because we make up stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> but the question is we also lie to ourselves about why they're happening. We lie to ourselves about, you know, because oh, of this external thing or that. It's like- And we um, justify our anxieties and we rationalize our fears. Like we'll, we'll completely make it sound normal that we have these insane thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> to ourselves. And when in reality, it's just, you don't like that person at work. How are you going to deal with that? Or you are not trying hard enough in school or, um, you, I don't know, you are, uh, you're worried about this or that and you're, you're projecting onto something else. Like it's, it, it's complicated and you just have to be, uh, like part of it is honesty. You have to be honest with yourself, but then you have to actually follow through with the thing that you know that you need to do to fix it <laughs> sometimes it's hard well, so it's always hard anything we're doing one thing is hard. i wanted to ask you then about that before we close up i think we might be about ready to wrap up yeah um i want to ask you like politics the macrocosms of this oversimplification thing so when trump was getting elected people said this guy's rich i've seen him on tv he must be smart let's vote him as president 
Like all of these insane assumptions just peddled one after the other and the guy got into presidency. And that to me is a symptom of oversimplification because people could have checked how his businesses did, how much money he actually made, how much money he actually had. They could have listened to his speeches and realized he's incompetent, but they just, they oversimplified things and it caused like irreparable harm to the country in so many different ways, not just from like the obvious trade wars, this and that, but you've given a nincompoop the secrets of the entire nation. Like that's mm -hmm. a huge security risk for oh. the entire country moving forward in perpetuity. And this is not doing much better, but at the same time, I think a lot of it is, um, with regard to politics is politics is doing the same thing that I mentioned that the banks are doing. Yeah. Look at the monkey over here. Look at the monkey. Isn't this a very difficult monkey? And there's That's a what lot I mean by the sleight of hand. It's like, look yeah. over here while they steal your wallet. <laughs> but like, I don't want to be too cynical about politics, but at the same time, it's, there's a lot of, um, intentional confusion, uh, put forth to like, don't, worry about it. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like Canadian politics, you got all these things that our prime minister has been rightfully accused of doing. And then all of a sudden uh, you've got, you know, it's like, oh, that's great. Now let's talk about um, gender theory. It's like, wait, what can we talk about that weird investment that was made in Quebec? <laughs> And the, um, but we're sitting here advocating for more simplicity, but there's also a really sharp pitfall from oversimplified things. Like there's actual harm and damage caused by oversimplifying things. Yeah. So the part of that, I wouldn't actually put on the, um, I wouldn't actually put on the, uh, so you have one side, the politicians who are, no, no, they're uh, marketing themselves. No, no, no. But like the politicians are intentionally, um, confusing things. Here's what's going on. Oh, here's what this is. And then you have the media who's, you know, then you get a soundbite of this super complex thing that doesn't actually mean anything being brought. More jobs. Yeah, there's more jobs. And then it's what, just a soundbite. And it's like, just like, so you, you, you actually watch the speech and you're like, okay, I see what he's saying. I don't like it, but you know, he is saying that. So, and then you watch CNN and you're just like, okay, um, that's a little simple. So, I think part of it is, um, watching like uh, the simplicity I'm not talking about again, uh, is not this simplicity. Um, the, the, what's happening in the political sphere is a fostering of ignorance and not simplicity. So they're using simple in, in, you know, the other definition of the word, the way, not the way I'm generally using it here. Um, I guess, streamlining would be a better word for what we're using here but they're keeping it simple because they don't want an actual conversation going you know it's a big a gaffe was that a gaffe is when um a politician tells the truth <laughs> so or actually it makes sense and uh I'm, I'm not saying i don't understand why they're doing it what i'm saying is we should address the fact that simplicity isn't just an, an overarching better it's not just good to be more no. simple, more simple, more better is not a solution to anything. No. And like, that's why I'm saying like, this is something that you need to cultivate in yourself, not just in like, but like, but that's sort of like saying like, you want to be a better painter, you should just get better at painting. Like, it's not really helpful yeah. to tell people they should just be better at being self-objective. True. So that's so, what I'm trying to pick out of you. How, how do you make people realize like, for instance, when um uh, that Senator went to the, 
on the floor with the snowball and said, environmentalists keep talking about there's, there's climate change, but look, it's snowing outside. Like when grown, educated, mature, six figure salaried adults can't distinguish the difference between climate and, um, and temperature and weather, like, that's an oversimplification problem, I think. And I think that, one that, of the problems is that that man is an idiot and he doesn't <laughs> need to be an idiot. <laughs> um, I think what I'm saying here is that that guy's an idiot and you don't have to be an idiot. <laughs> and um, he took, he simplified something. He, well, okay, here, okay, yeah, okay, I got it. So he's taking a complex issue and trying to simplify it down to a snowball. So uh, global warming, uh, which is a complex issue, and an ironic um, metaphor, actually. Yeah. So because <laughs> the it's, problem snowballs. Yeah, and he's taking just literally the basic, like it's super complex. It's it's so complex, and he what he's trying to do is he's trying to simplify it down to something that has no relation to the actual problem. So global warming, warming is hot, warm equals hot, snowball equals cold. So look, like that's that's a simplification, but it has no relation to the thing that it's um being related to. It it it, it it's it, it's words and deeds are no kin to one another, as Shakespeare would say. But um for some reason that came to my mind in Othello. But uh essentially this is He's an idiot, so he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. So he's actually, he's not, instead of making it too simple, he's simplified something to a point where it has no relation to what he's actually talking about. So there has to be a actual connection between the simplified uh, aspect of it and the complex reality. So it must be real, in other words. Yeah, you got to be real. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> so I'm just I, I the think, simplicity game. I think that's a, I know that's a, that's a good example because uh, um uh, definitely. But I think you when like if I'm going to present, but the people should it, be able to point this out. He should be able to say whatever he wants, and everybody should be able to look and point at him, and for themselves realize how ridiculous that is. Well, everyone does realize how di difficult. No, that. you got elected. Well, no, I well. <laughs> Okay, he's an idiot, and there's yeah. a lot of idiots out there. So the thing is that uh, politics aside, is that um, it, it's still a good um, example because well, you're going to have to deal with idiots, <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of idiots. Why out are there. the masses not pointing it out? Like. That, the, that the is the thing I want to fix and have this channel for so that people see this and be like, oh, I follow people like that. I should reconsider my own. Like, that's oh. self-awareness for the sake of self-awareness. Yeah. Sake of action. Well, it's like you know I mean? changing your um, Facebook profile to have the whatever tragedy of the week. But yeah. um, I think a lot of it is... Um, but not just to raise awareness to tell people how aware you are. I'm saying, like, we should... Tell people how to be simple in the right ways because they're obviously not. Mm -hmm. So, like, like on your simplicity has to like the way what I'm presenting is, um, a simplified version of what I am feeling or what I am thinking or what I am on the inside. It's kind of a dumb way of putting it, but um, if 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 my words do not match my actions, which do not match my um my intention being, 
Well, just the way I am, like, I know I am on the inside. So, like, the objective reality of the confusion and complexity that is Jordan. Um, and if what I present has no kin to that, then I'm going to be a bit of a mess and people are going to think I'm an idiot. Now, if I'm taking, if I'm, again, speaking on things that I don't know about, I am an idiot. Uh, if I'm not trying to simplify something that is a correct representation of the thing I'm trying to represent. Now, the thing is, is that that's a work in progress and we, there's not going to be one thing. It's such a slow thing. This isn't going to be something that, oh, I just simplified my life and now I'm a sim No, this took me years. And the thing is, is that not everyone's going to approach their maturity. Some people not, might not even get it. Uh, they might die without having matured. But even if we reach a couple people, those people will take time, rightly, to become um, more mature. Unfortunately, um, some people get elected before they finish their maturity and they do idiotic things. And as much as I hate it, I can, as long as we at least start people on maybe a journey towards some sort of maturity using this as not like the be all and end all, but as one aspect that they can, you know, meditate on, um, then that's better than nothing. If we can reach one person in five years, they're a better person. Well, they're still going to do stupid things along the way, but maybe they can correct them or maybe people can forgive them. Um, as long as they actually do show progress. Now, Trump is not going to show any remorse. So, but at the same time, I don't even have to worry about him. Like, and so I can work to fix, like, there's always going to be stuff. We're still dealing with problems that people have made thousands of years ago and we're, doing okay but it's a slow process and we kind of have to just help each other along <laughs> and well, so i just want to correct you on one point i think you said that very astutely what <laughs> what point <laughs> is that a correction of <laughs> you, st you started off saying this is a bad way of putting it but it was actually a oh. very good way of putting it uh maybe i uh i figured it's the it out springboard to to betterment to so, self-improvement i think um Anything further out of me would be uh, just a exercise in diminishing returns. So, uh, but I think I've cyclical said cyclical redundance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a very astute uh, observation of the um, current um, mal explanation that I am currently engaged in. I should have prepared a whole bunch of word salads before the show started. <laughs> One of the things is that... <laughs> Not that uh, the listeners want to hear it. Now, but. here's the thing. Here's a funny thing that happened when I was in school. I learned how to do that really well. Just to pull random, like, really verbose stuff just straight out of my butt. And I learned it, and I don't know why I learned it, and I don't know how or when I learned it. It's just some point I was just able to say things that That's meant what nothing. they you in school. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it's like, I don't know, I'll just do it and people like, I don't know, sometimes I'll do it just for fun because it is funny. But I just, I don't, I want to use my power for good and not evil. <laughs> <laughs> so no, this, it, it irritates me. Like it really gets under my skin, to be honest. I, I love jargon when it's, when it's really crap craftily constructed do you know what a I mean? science like paper there's nothing but jargon but if you figure it out it's like oh this is what he's saying and, well, I'm, I'm, and you understand why they like have that. to use it yeah quality lectures definitely uh, um because they're using all that stuff properly and that's about as simple as they can make it um 
Yeah, but when when you hear a bunch of people uh, just discussing things they don't they don't know, I'm not saying they can't talk about things that they don't know because that's how we learn is just by talking about stuff until we get to yeah, know it. Staying in your lane is a not a good concept. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I don't like is the um, when people are trying to put on the impression of of sure surety, like when mm-hmm. they're assuring people that what they know is true when it's absolute garbledygook. That bothers me because it's misleading people who might be susceptible to their influence. Yeah, and they like present you, here's the plan for the next stage of the project, and you just look at it and be like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, like anti-vaxxers. If they think a vaccine's going to control your mind, then show me a single research paper where you can inject somebody with something and control their mind. Like, mm-hmm. I want to know about that. Do you remember business class where they would say, okay, the first thing to do is have a plan. P is for... Oh progress. God, don't even and get me stuff started. like that. But then you see someone come to a, uh, they like, okay, it's like a rubric to get you on the path, right? Yeah. But the thing is that if you apply the rubric literally, then like, like having smart goals. Yeah. It's like the, F, the M is measurable. The A is achievable. Like, no, just common sense. Like, why don't we just teach common sense? Yeah. We don't and need an acronym to walk us through a thought. Yeah, we're teaching people based on these absurd rubrics that use like buzzwords that people are paid to make for some reason. And then they grade you on memorizing the glossary. (laughs) It's like, no, the whole point is to learn what you're supposed to be doing well enough and then getting... Anyway, that's... that's that's outside the box. Okay. Management is another topic. (laughs) So, I'm I'm running out of brain power here, so... I Thank think you we've very much for piece. the discussion, though. It was riveting. Yeah, uh, this is a good one. Um, so, I'll let you uh, do the outro. Oh, cause <laughs> next week, we're going to be looking into the meaning of life, so stay tuned for that. I uh, put my balls to the wall for it. Yeah. Uh, we got an RSS feed. It's obviously in the description comments. You can find it. Um, subscribe, like, share. That's the best way to show you like and appreciate free content, because we're yeah. not asking for your money. Right. YouTube a literal letter and send it to them telling them how much you love us. Or even better, <laughs> write it in jargon. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever your field of expertise is, just make it hard for them to read it. Because yeah. they won't read it anyway. But. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Frivolous Gravitas. <laughs>